This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. From the mind of Werner Herzog comes his newest vehicle for exploration, Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World, a playful yet chilling examination of our interconnected online lives. It's now playing on demand. Also playing on demand is De Palma, a look at the legendary filmmaker behind classics like Carrie and Scarface, in which he shares both candid wisdom and hysterical stories based on his experiences in the film industry for over 50 years. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And on this episode, we are going to keep the tape rolling... No matter how excruciating things get, as we discuss the documentary Wiener. And inspired by Wiener, which follows disgraced politician Anthony Wiener as he seeks redemption for his sexting scandal by running for mayor of New York, only to flame out even more spectacularly, we thought we'd devote this episode of the podcast to other cinematic portrayals of noteworthy meltdowns. And then we thought, what can we really give you on that topic that can compete with what you can get by watching coverage of the current presidential U.S. election? And so instead, we're turning to the broader topic of political documentaries. But before we get to that, let's do opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few films that are new on demand. Matt, you are in charge of the segment this time. What have you got for us? I've got three movies, all of which are amongst my uh, most anticipated of, I guess, of the fall now, since we're almost in the fall. Just movies that I haven't seen yet. Uh, two of them came out earlier in the year, played festivals. I had the baby. Not me personally, but I was unavailable to attend such festivals, and so I've been hearing great things about them, but haven't gotten to see them until now. And the first one actually was an award winner at Sundance. It won two awards at Sundance, a special jury prize and the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award for its writer and director, Chad Hartigan, and it is Morris from America, which is available now on VOD. It is described as the romantic and coming-of-age misadventures of a 13-year-old American living in Germany. And the special jury prize went to one of the two stars, Craig Robinson, who plays the dad in this equation, Curtis. And his son is played by Marquise Christmas. He plays Morris, who's the 13-year-old living abroad, struggling. And none other than one Allison Wilmore, the esteemed critic of BuzzFeed.com, said of Morris from America, quote, warm, witty comedy about a black American teen living in Germany, father-son relationships, ESP wonderfully. I assume that means that they have ESP in the film. 
there the Twitter. father and the son yes this was your tweet about the film from sundance mm. and so i'm assuming that it's like almost like a cronenberg movie they have kind of scanner powers yeah it was surprising to me that for half an hour in the middle of the movie they don't speak they, they just don't speak they just try look kill at each, each other, other with, with their, their brains, brains. okay yeah. so maybe oh esp met especially Especially wonderful, you're saying. I don't saying. know. I th- I'm pretty sure it means killing yes, each other is. with their brains. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, you enjoyed the movie. I did. You did like it. And you were not alone. It had a lot of great reviews out of Sundance. It sounds great. And actually, I'm also interested because Chad Hartigan, not a particularly well-known filmmaker, but we've actually reviewed one of his other movies on the show. This is Martin Bonner, which we both really liked. Yeah. Very small, classic kind of American indie movie. You can hear our conversation about that film on SVU number 42 which is going back a ways now but i like that movie a lot and so i'm very curious to see morris from america and that is available now on vod next up available now on vod as well is maggie's plan directed by rebecca miller and maggie of the title is played by greta gerwig one of my favorite actors and i'll read you the plot description here Maggie's plan to have a baby on her own is derailed when she falls in love with John, a married man, destroying his volatile marriage to the brilliant and impossible Georgette. But one daughter and three years later, Maggie is out of love and in a quandary. What do you do when you suspect your man and his ex-wife are actually perfect for each other? And in addition to Greta Gerwig, the film has a great cast, including Bill Hader, Ethan Hawke, Maya Rudolph, Julianne Moore, Wallace Shawn, and more... And I've also heard good things about this one as well, and I haven't had a chance to catch up with it. I love Greta Gerwig. I'm looking forward to watching this one as well. It is Maggie's Plan. It's available now on VOD. And now for something slightly different. Not a festival favorite. Not your traditional indie American uh, movie. It is Bloodfather, the new Mel Gibson exploitation film. That did play at Cannes. It did play at Cannes? It did. How about that? I take it back. It is a festival favorite. (laughs) It was the last night of Cannes, from what I remember. It's a slightly different movie, nonetheless. It is not a coming-of-age movie or a 20-something yearning for self-discovery. It's about angry Mel Gibson playing an ex-con who reunites with his estranged, wayward 16-year-old daughter to protect her from drug dealers who are trying to kill her. And in addition to Mel Gibson, Diego Luna, Michael Parks, and William H. Macy are all in this film. And and this one actually did get pretty decent reviews, too, especially for Mel Gibson's performance. And actually, I really liked Mel Gibson in the last Expendables movie, which was a piece of junk and was not a good movie. But Mel, not see it. You didn't miss much except Mel Gibson. It gave a very good, crazy, deranged, evil Mel Gibson performance. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of down with the uh, Mel Gibson reinvention as this person in these weird, He's disgusting... Going full Nicolas Cage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I like Mel Gibson as Nicolas Cage. In fact... Mel Gibson and Nicolas Cage, buddy cop movie. I'm calling it right now. That would be something that I would like to see. But in the meantime, Bloodfather will do. And it is also available now, right now, on VOD. Why are they filming you? I don't know. I, I, most of the time, I don't know why they're filming Are you somebody I'm supposed to know? It's Republicans wrapping their arms around Republicans rather than doing the right thing on behalf of the heroes. It was an absolute pleasure to see a Democrat not cowering. Married to one of Hillary Clinton's closest advisors. He never backed down from anybody. A photo of an anonymous man's bulging underwear. was tweeted from Congressman Weiner's account. Today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. The punchline is true about me. I did the dumb thing, but I did a lot of other things too. 
running for mayor. It was the straightest line to clean up the mess that I had made. This is Anthony Weiner calling. Yes, I'm not Anthony Weiner, the one running for mayor. Why do you think you deserve the second chance? I didn't want to answer. I'm giving you the answer. I thought you were thinking about it. I thought no, you were I'm trying talking to words. On every episode of Film Spotting SVU, we put you in charge of choosing our main review by voting on one of three options. And this time around, we gave you a trio of movies from earlier in the year for some August catch-up, all available for rent. Wiener, Josh Kriegman, and Elise Steinberg's documentary about former New York Congressman Anthony Wiener. Hello, my name is Doris, Michael Showalter's latest starring Sally Field. And Last Days in the Desert, in which Ewan McGregor plays Jesus. And unlike in Anthony Weiner's electoral campaign, in this poll there was no contest. Weiner won with over half the vote. So Weiner is about Anthony Weiner, who, when the documentary starts, is already a disgraced punchline. He resigned from his place in the House of Representatives in 2011 after a sexting scandal that started with essentially a DM gone wrong, leading to him posting a photo of his boxer-clad bulge on Twitter. Uh, It was eventually revealed to include multiple exchanges with multiple women online. Wiener was no average congressman. He was a rising star in the Democratic Party. He was married to Huma Abedin, who is Hillary Clinton's protege and the current VP of her presidential campaign. Also, his name is Wiener. It was a story that, for many reasons, (laughs) dominated the news cycle. So Wiener follows Anthony Wiener's attempts to redeem himself in 2013 by running for mayor of to New York City. To rise again, as it were. Yes. There are just endless puns. It's a little oh, too Oh, was that easy. a pun? I didn't even realize. <laughs> uh, with his wife's active support, a campaign that, for a while, goes almost shockingly well. People mm. seem willing to forgive him until, that is, another sexting scandal emerges. Mm. This one including even more embarrassing details, mm. including the fact that Wiener used the pseudonym Carlos Danger. I was hoping you'd mention that. How could I not? Uh, And this this breaks uh, before the film is even halfway over. And what follows is a free fall Wiener is unable to stop, but also seemingly unable to walk away from, no matter how humiliating it gets for him and for his wife and mother of their child. Throughout it all, directors Kriegman and Steinberg get an astounding, even ill-advised amount of access. At one point, they ask him, why did you let us film this? And in part, this is because Kriegman worked for a while as Anthony Weiner's chief of staff in the past, so he was a trusted person. And in part, it's because this is who Anthony Weiner is. The way he thrives on attention is both his strength as a politician and his fatal weakness in a way that would honestly be too on the nose if it were fiction. Or something else. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Sorry. as I've said on Films Budding Maine, this is one of my favorite films of the first half of the year. So I'm curious to hear both what you think of it and also what you left the film thinking of Anthony Weiner himself. Well, I liked the film a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if I liked it quite as much as you, but I did really enjoy it. I was glad I saw it. I would certainly recommend it. Uh, and... Uh, as for how I see Anthony Weiner, I don't know that I got a ton more insight into him necessarily. I feel like I had a relatively good handle on him and his what drove him, I guess. But I did it was interesting to watch him sort of his incapability of walking away, as you put it, where you know, and how he he tries to frame that as well, he's not a quitter, um which I guess, but uh, but it's, in a way, it almost feels more like it's a another side of what might be maybe an addictive personality, like being addicted to fame or attention or just, you know, or I don't know, sending people pictures of your bulge. I don't know. But it is curious to see how determined he is to see this to the bitter end 
I mean, and it gets pretty ugly by the end, and he just refuses refuses to quit. Uh, the other thing that I thought was most interesting about it was just sort of the depiction of the media, um, and that's something that I didn't realize was going to be quite so central to it. I mean, obviously, it's a movie about a, a politician and in the middle of a bunch of scandals, or one just scandal that never ends, but I guess I didn't realize how much we were going to see sort of I don't know, like the tawdry, tacky side of the media and their obsession with, with not, it's sort of a two pronged thing. And that wasn't, when I said it, that wasn't uh, another pun. <laughs> and then it became one. But the idea that they, they love to tear this guy down for what he did, which was admittedly pretty seamy and, and, uh, you know, not exactly the sort of behavior we want from a potential major, uh, you know, uh, a governing figure. But it also does seem like they crave this sort of story and they, again, apologies, get off on this sort of story and they love the seeminess of it. And they have this sort of holier-than-thou attitude while at the same time mining this sort of thing for all the tawdry attention that it brings and all the ratings that it brings. And and it's a great story. I mean, that's why we're watching it as a documentary, no doubt about it. So, yeah, that was, the I think, the thing that I got the most out of it was even more than the portrait of him – and to some extent, modern political campaigns. I just thought it's a very unflattering but pretty honest portrait of sort of the co- media coverage of, of, a, of a modern campaign, I thought. Definitely, you can see when everyone smells blood in the water. Even from the beginning, like, uh, he talks about the fact that he never got as much coverage when he was initially, you know, a congressman. Right, a crusading like, would not, like, congressman. Yeah, and we see clips of him. Like a, he's a very compelling, fiery speaker. Absolutely. You know, uh, that that did not get him attention. Mm. What got him attention was this: so that even when he was getting back in the race, people knew it was such a good story. You right. know, what like will he pull this off? And then when it, clear, it was clear that that would not happen, what exactly is going to unfurl next? You know. Yeah. Uh, I, but I do think that this is like it is. A, I think a fairly clever film about campaigning even in the bits of the ways in which there are montages of him taking interviews on the phone Mm -hmm. that are just a reinforcement of the repetition of him being like hey andrea hi you know morning julie how are you morning you know like that just like the reminder of like how much of this process is just yes talking giving the almost identical conversation to the media or then when he's out in parades there's like a montage of him in different parades yeah, with of different, different nationalities yeah different waving different flags and like uh taking photos and glad handing and i think that like there is something that's uh it's very funny about that the reminder of just how much of this is this repetitive just like putting yourself out there again and again and again and again yeah that it actually it takes a relatively rare personality to be able to do that and not, and still keep giving, you know, giving good face, like in, in those situations. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, like, I, what makes this movie, I think, work so well for me is the contrast between him and Huma Abedin, who is, you know, a powerful political figure herself, but one who is like largely behind the scenes. Right. Uh, one of the big deals in this is showing that she gets actively involved. She does her first ever press conference in a just excruciating moment uh, that whether you like it or not, in addition to politics being part of the personal, a combination of the personal and the policy, it is also about 
the kind of willingness to be in the spotlight mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, an ability to tolerate it. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think of the, uh, the kind of array of increasingly anguished human Aberdeen shots as this movie goes along. It's pretty sad, actually. I felt I felt pretty bad for her because she, to a certain extent, seems sort of along for the ride here. This does not seem like it's her idea in any way, shape, or form. And by the end of it, it's pretty clear she would prefer if he stopped the madness, so to speak. Um, but he does seem either just, det- you know, determined or perhaps addicted and incapable of of quitting while he's ahead or behind, as the case may be. And yeah, it's kind of sad. I read, I was just reading after I watched the movie, I read an article that supposedly Huma and also Anthony Weiner, they're both supposedly now upset with the film because she's featured in it. They're claiming that she hadn't authorized that, the directors didn't say she was going to be in it, which is it's sort seems, of hard to believe because they. It's impossible. They, yeah, they talked to her. To, they talk, to her and she talks back. I mean, I think that's more of an extension of the fact that now that the movie is done, they see that they they don't fe- they they must not think that it's very flattering to her. I don't know that I I don't know what they would be so upset about, but she certainly you see that she's I mean calculating, but I think that that's part of her job. Well, that's she- her job is to understand the media and to try to sculpt the right image. And what's so sort of ironic in this situation is that she's married to this man who seems almost pathologically incapable of doing what she is so good at, which is like controlling, you know, crafting an image, maintaining uh, that image, sticking to talking points. These are all things Anthony Weider, as we see time and again, is is not good at. And it's sort of amazing that this is who he wound up marrying. Well, especially when you see in that he goes from being over in like those those clips of him as an active congressman yeah. from being like this rising star to being someone who is a potentially hurting her and right. hurting like the Clintons through yes. that. You know, she by proxy. The, right. Like she is on the phone with uh, you know, people in the Clinton camp sometimes. You see it. You never see them directly. Right. Hillary Clinton's not in this movie, but you see them she you see her taking advice from them. Right. And at the end you know, she is like clearly trying to put some space between them yeah. in ways that are like. He keeps wanting her to show up to things right. like voting, you know, like on election day. And she keeps coming up with reasons why she can't go. I think like essentially being like, I can't be seen with you. Right. Yeah. Which is incredible. That's it, like, horrible. The, the final shots of her, the, like there were two shots of her where she was just like eating pizza. <laughs> she eats pizza several times like, in this it's movie. Like always and it seems like stress. Started, yeah. yeah it's like stress started eating. getting worse and worse. I could relate and to the. Just, like, yeah. yeah, I know. She is I could like, relate to the stress a eating a pizza. relatable character in those yeah, moments. Yeah, But it's true, though, that, you know, he does... The, I mean, like you said, he's a, he, when they show him in Congress, he's a very compelling figure. And at the beginning of his campaign, he has these ideas. I think his whole thing was like, I've got a hundred great ideas, whatever it is. And we, when we hear them, he actually does have some really good ideas. And I think what one of the things that I found so effective, again, about the media is that he wants to talk about these ideas, these issues. But all anyone wants to talk about is right. His, but isn't that general naive? Area. That's so naive on his part. When that is, is to agree. You know, You're like absolutely right. You ever like you can never just take one and leave the other behind. I I know it is, but it is sort of also a shame that this guy who has good ideas is also, I mean, it's all part of who he is. I'm not necessarily blaming the right. media, but I, but it's that 
you know, that they're all, I, I was going to say, it's all tied up in this one package, but that would probably be a bad pun to make as well. This is There's a nothing mine. I can this say. This conversation is a landmine of terrible accidental puns. But he is. It, and it's like, I think you already said, it's like the, the very things that made him a good politician in a lot of ways also made him a horrible politician. Well, there's a scene towards the end of this movie in which he goes to City Island in the Bronx. Yes. Uh, working class neighborhood that is not into him at all. Right. Like very, you know, more like family values and would probably be very happy if he had just not shown up but yes. he again he, refuses to yeah. quit to cancel and he shows up he shows up and it's of course the first question he gets is someone really angry yelling at him about like you're you're basically like scum how can we trust you right and he gives this incredible answer that turns the crowd around in his favor right and in that moment you see this 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 thing that like you see I think throughout where are there these flashes in between like the narcissism and the kind of like willful self-destruction yeah. and temper weird, he has a yes, temper this weird bit of nobility to him as mm. well that I think is the part that makes this not just like a portrait of like a jerk you know but like and a fool but someone who also for whatever it's worth, seem to have something to give. Yeah, and, and a true believer too. Way. And yeah. like he does want to, as much as it, there may be a you know a narcissistic thing or an egotistical thing, it does seem like he believes these things that he fights for and would yeah. like to help people. Like that seems very genuine to me. That doesn't seem like an act. Now maybe it is. Maybe he's just that good at uh, putting on this face, but. But he does seem like he cares, and he's very good when he has something passionate to fight for. He really, he really cares. Now that said, there are other times where he's so passionate, and it doesn't work in his favor, like in that horrible TV interview where yeah. he's being questioned, it's, it's and he's painful. just, he is just so obnoxious. And you know, there are times where even when he's in the right, he can't, he does things wrong, the like bakery. the guy, the bakery, where this guy, you know, calls him horrible names and. And we later learn, which I don't think I ever knew at the time, but they, he had said something really mean and, said, and frankly racist about his wife. Married to an Arab. Right, says, right. Yeah. And so I don't even know if I ever knew that part. But still, despite the fact that he's 100% in the right, the thing to do would be just to walk away. And instead, he you know, stands up for his principles and gets into a shouting match. And I remember watching this online and thinking – this guy is a putz. And again, yeah. there's another one. He well, is a putz. The best part of that is that they talk to someone leaving this. It's like a Jewish right. bakery. It's, it's like a holiday. Yeah. They talk to someone leaving who's like, why didn't he just leave? Why didn't he just like, leave? Even everyone knows. Yes. But like he is, he just can't walk away. Yes, he can't. But I mean, the, but the, I think there is an interesting also comparison to be made between him and this woman who, uh, I think that I forget, uh, Cindy Leathers, I think is her Sydney name. Leathers, Sydney, excuse yeah. me, Sydney Leathers, Mrs. Carlos Danger, as they I think one time call her in the movie, where she, I mean, is also sort of craving the spotlight, and that's something I think you do see in the movie is just sort of this from him and from others, not just from her, just like the the intense need for that attention, and like we see it in that one outrageous sequence where. She's trying to confront him for no real moral reason. It seems just to just for the Howard Stern for show, for the basically. Howard Stern show, for publicity, for attention, and and he is trying to get into basically make a concession speech, and they have to like sneak in through a McDonald's yeah, in the back, and there and there's people running, and it's she's incredible. She's running after him, and it's just so absurd and outrageous, and it's like it, it's hard to believe that this is part of our you know an important 
actual election that determined the outcome of millions of people's lives, essentially. Then again, what's going on in the presidential election in some ways makes this look like a, a drop in the bucket. So maybe it's not so shocking. Yeah, that's it. I do feel like this is, an, it, it's, I think, a frankly incredible political documentary just in how it combines our interests in the like prurience and the personal and the scandals with what we're supposedly also really interested in the policy yeah. and that in the ways in which one can just totally envelop the other. Yeah. And also in the ways in which I don't know that that's totally wrong. It's hard when you, when you watch him fumble, watch him, someone who's like so kind of like forthright and seemingly without filter when you watch him fumble each time he like basically lies around being caught out and then has to come clean. I think like that's the thing that bothers people at least as much as the pictures of his penis out there is not, you know, beyond just like being like, how can we elect someone who has sent pictures of his penis around on the internet? It's how can we elect someone who like, it, like compulsively quickly lies poorly yeah. to cover up? And I don't he's know. not the only liar, though. Certainly not. But there is a, there is something something of a double standard to some extent. I was, I was it's sort of curious that you know that uh, that that this guy is such a target. And I'm not saying he didn't make himself a target with all the things he did, but it is curious how some people can't recover from these things. But that's it. He and was then, recovering, right? But then he did it, it again. Like he did it again. It right. was so he. You did can't you can't send multiple yeah. dick pics. No, I think that's he did the lesson here. Right. You know, like he, he could have recovered. Right. For a little while, he is in the lead. Right. He could have been our mayor now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are going to send them to people, use a better uh, alias than Carlos Danger. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. It's like, it's too good. Yeah. Well, that is Wiener, and you can find it. It is available for rent. You may need to watch it peeping between your fingers, <laughs> but we would both say you should watch it. Yeah. Ten, nine. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please. please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, dashboard, and boots. Nowhere up there outer? in gravity suits. I need to breathe. Outer? Don't need to be a space. All right, let's recommend some other political documentaries. It seemed like the right time to do this, not just because of uh, the movie, but there's a lot, everyone's talking about politics right now. And I can only imagine the political documentaries that are going to be made about this election <laughs> season, Allison. I can't even imagine. They will be incredible. Something else. Yeah. Well... On that note of discouragement and depression, who wants to begin? I'll start. Okay. Since my first movie is one that is, I think, kind of a definitive political documentary and a definitive like landmark documentary in terms of the style of, of the genre, it is Primary, which is available for rent right now. This is the 1960 film uh, from director Robert Drew that's considered like a definitive work of, of direct cinema, but also like a definitive work in terms of changing the style of documentaries and pushing them towards what they look like today. Uh, Drew documented the 1960 Wisconsin primary. That was between JFK and Hubert Humphrey. Uh, he used what was then 
cutting edge technology, including sound syncing, so you can have audio on the fly, mm. and mobile cameras I that know. can follow people. And the result is something that you can feel changing the idea of what nonfiction looks like uh, in the way that it attempts to like to duck behind the public and the prepared veneers that people offer up given the time. Uh, especially in this case, politicians, who are the people we most try to see the truth of and most try to get behind the mask of. It's not a long film. It's about an hour. It's in black and white. Uh, and it's shot by Richard Leacock and Albert Mazels and edited by D.A. Pennybaker, all influential documentarians in their own right. And the film follows Humphrey, who's this folksy man at his strongest in the streets of a small town, talking to farmers, which we see him at one point talking to all of these unsmiling, deadpan uh, Wisconsin farmers. And then Kennedy, who is greeted like a rock star and who goes over particularly well with women. And you see a lot of like shots of women reacting to him speaking or like arriving that really is like Beatles-esque. And in this race, Kennedy was the outsider, uh, the East Coaster, while Humphrey is from the Midwest. He was a senator from Minnesota. And it's, it was a close race, uh, and it follows this all the way through to the night when they're counting down everything. But you can see in the film the balance tipping towards politics in the era of footage like this. Humphrey, Humphrey is like a, clearly a man from another time, and Kennedy is this extremely photogenic, you know, very charismatic man who can like look good on a big screen. You know, uh, and I, I think that it's a really interesting look at him, sometimes a little uh, a little unfiltered, a little bit behind the scenes in addition to uh, being, you know, in front of crowds that is is fascinating. But it's also just it's it captures this moment in time that feels really pivotal in just what we look at. Uh, of politicians, what we're shown of them. So it's really uh, a worthwhile film to check out. I mean, just for what what it signals uh, in addition to what it actually contains. That is primary and it is available for rent. It's a great pick and definitely one of the key, the key texts in this genre. And actually my first pick is co-directed by one of the people you mentioned. And I think one of the key texts also in this genre and definitely of its era was, I remember because I was, you know, 13 years old, I guess, when it came out. I remember it. it was a big deal at the time. And it's, I think it's the first I remember watching. I mean, maybe there was something else, but it certainly feels like the first political documentary I ever watched and sort of critically and thought about. And it is The War Room by the husband and wife team of Chris Hegedus and D.A. Pennebaker, who was the editor of Primary, went on to have a long and successful career making those kinds of direct cinema documentaries, including this one. And this film is about Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign, and it mostly focuses on two of his close campaign advisors, both of whom are now famous celebrities with careers in media, I think mostly as a result of this film. There's James Carville. The Ragin' Cajun, as he is known, and also George Stephanopoulos, who is now one of the main anchors on Good Morning America, which is certainly not what I would have predicted, uh, having w watched this movie in 1994 when it came out. It just seems so such a bizarre career path to take, but that's how it worked out. And, of course, you do see these 
unguarded moments with Bill Clinton and also with Hillary Clinton as well, which I think gives the movie some extra oomph in 2016. And there's actually some compelling stuff in this movie now, even though the world has changed a lot in 20 years, including the world of political campaigns and media, the Clinton team's tactics. I think they have a lot of relevance today. And there are a lot of figures from this movie 20 years ago that are still important today, including the Clintons. Uh, one of James Carville's first speeches in the movie, he's talking to his staff and warning them about the dirty tricks that he's expecting from one Roger Ailes, who at mm. the time was working on the Bush campaign. So it's interesting how all these years later, these figures, you know, it's the same figures. No one goes away. No one goes away, especially not in politics. And there are interesting parallels, you know, having watched, rewatched The War Room this week for the first time, maybe in 15, 20 years. After watching Wiener for the first time, there's some very interesting parallels. The filmmakers had a ton of access. They're basically embedded with the campaigns during these key moments. And it's also a movie about a candidate who's rocked by a sex scandal. Uh, the War Room covers this period of time where Clinton was all over the tabloids because this woman, Jennifer Flowers, was accusing him of having an affair with her. There are these tapes, and we get to watch the campaign deal with it. And you also have... Now that I think about it, I didn't even write this in my notes, but the fact of the wife sort of standing by her man, even in the face of these potentially uh, not only campaign destroying, but marriage destroying allegations, sort of another interesting parallel. These would make an interesting double feature. And it's again, we, we sort of talked about this at the end of the Wiener review, but Anthony Wiener was never accused of like actual infidelity. He was just sending dirty pictures to women online, and yet his political career was ruined. Meanwhile, Bill Clinton was accused of a lot worse, and he became the president. And, of course, uh, you know, some of these issues came back to haunt him later on. But it is curious to see, you know, what, what happens, the reaction from the media, the reaction from voters, as you said earlier, Allison. Sometimes you can make one mistake, but if you make it twice, that's the, uh, that's the, real, that's the real killer. The, the movie is very, you know, it's embedded just like primary, I guess. But in a sense, War Room, it's really just about the Clinton campaign. There's no scenes with the Bush campaign or with any of the other campaigns. And, you know, as I was watching it again, I was thinking maybe that's the next, I don't know, the next uh, frontier for one of these movies. Or maybe when someone eventually does this as some sort of Netflix series or something, is to do the side-by-side, -side, is to do both campaigns and to have people embedded with both, and then cutting back and forth. I would love to see that, where you get to see each each campaign uh, reacting to the other and trying to, you know, even though they don't know what's going on on the other side, we do. Maybe someone out there has done that. I can't think of an example, but I feel like that would be pretty interesting. But for what it is, The War Room, definitely one of the classics, again, of this genre, and definitely worth a viewing. It is available right now on Hulu. I think it's in the Criterion Collection. That is The War Room. Well, we've been mostly focusing on U.S., entirely focusing on U.S. politics, but I wanted to talk about a film next that is set in Zimbabwe. Great. It is Democrats, which you can find on Netflix right now, a 2014 film directed by Camilla Nielsen, who's actually a Danish documentarian. It is about the rewriting of Zimbabwe's constitution. This is no small ask, as Robert Mugabe 
became president of Zimbabwe in 1987, and who at age 92 is still president, has not been the kind of person to turn power over to others, even in the form of something like a constitution. But after a rough election that was widely scrutinized in 2008, in which his victory was often accredited to rigging and to violence, he acceded to the forming of a coalition between his party and the opposition party to help shape the country's future. The film has two protagonists. Uh, the first is Paul Mangawa, who is uh, this jovial man from Mugabe's party. The other is Douglas Monzara, uh, who is a slightly more studious representative from the opposition party. Uh, They're both often, and as the film goes on, kind of incredibly amused by the proceedings, uh, maybe because they have such a Kafka-esque quality to them. For example, one of the parts of their process is they are supposed to go around the ta- uh, go around the country, talking to locals in different meetings in the countryside and in the cities to ask them what they want in a, in a constitution. And in one case, in a rural area, you watch a group of people come up in a row to say that they think that all judges should be chosen by the president. They might as well be reading off a piece of paper. They were informed, you know? It just like everyone has the exact same opinion. Uh, in another, uh, in a meeting in an urban area where uh, the opposition party is strong, Mugabe's party is accused of bussing in their own supporters from elsewhere to sway it in their favor. Uh, and Mangawa is, acts like a, shocked he's like he asks uh manzara can he believe the slurs being thrown at his party about these busing rumors and then in the very next scene and this film has incredible access mangawa is shown trying to placate a crowd of people angry that the meeting has been postponed today because they were bussed in and now have to uh maybe miss work so uh at different points in the movie one of the men is arrested on trumped up charges another seems likely to be assassinated And yet there is always this veneer of increasingly admirable respect and politeness over these very serious stakes. And as the movie goes on, you start to feel like that's what democracy is. It is the agreement to at least have the pretense of process that you attempt afterwards to will into reality, you know, uh, despite all of the kind of Game of Thrones level finagling and power plays going on behind the scenes. Uh, These are two men who grow over the course of the film to really respect each other and to to kind of agree on the importance of what they're doing. And I I mean, something in that itself, especially especially this year in politics, there is something really impressive to see two people from opposing parties who are sometimes seem to be literally at war kind of coming together to make this document uh, and find the right compromises and and make something. So that is Democrats. It is available on Netflix. I haven't seen that one. It sounds pretty intriguing. I'm going to have to add that one to my my list myself. My last pick is also available now on Netflix. Uh, It is a Netflix original, actually. And it is called MIT. And we live in this age where candidates and everything about their campaigns are so carefully controlled and crafted. All right, maybe not uh, the Donald Trump campaign, but just about everyone else's political campaign. That is certainly the way that that it is. And I think as a result, a lot of candidates come across or as viewed by a lot of voters as artificial, phony, not themselves, not genuine, maybe because 
I think to some extent people people's genuine selves are not qualified for a lot of their jobs or, you know, certainly mine would not be. If I was running for any sort of elected office, I would not be able to be myself unless it was like the elected office in charge of, you know, Jim Cotta or something like that. So I think the value in a movie like Mitt, which again is available now on Netflix, even in retrospect, is that it it shows us this guy who ran for president and it makes him a person. It makes him seem like more than this guy who ran for president and almost had a sort of robotic, robotic quality. Yes. That would be the word. Yeah. That he was just this rich dude with a kind of a a curious name, but the film, which follows him on both his 2008 and 2012 presidential campaigns, it, it shows us this other side of him. We get to see that he's a very good dad. He's a very good grandfather. We see that he actually has a, a you know a nice self-deprecating sense of humor. He's always kind of making fun of himself and making fun of his struggles. We see that he is a big fan of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is a, definitely a plus in my book. We see that, again, kind of like Anthony Weiner, like he really cares about this stuff, you know? He is, uh, and this is a line from uh, The Bachelor, but it seems applicable here. He's, he's here for the right reasons. You know, he's not just here to be, you know, a famous person. He seems to genuinely care about his constituents and the country and doing something good. And he talks about this responsibility he feels uh, because of his successes in life and the, the opportunities he's been afforded to give something back and to serve his country. And that... And that feels very genuine, and I, it's nice to see, actually, in, at this at this this year, at this time, frankly. The, this film, even more than The War Room, is very light on policy and even politics to a large extent. You know, there's almost no discussions with his advisors. I don't even know who in the Romney campaign was the equivalent of Carvel and Stephanopoulos from this movie. Most of the scenes are him with his family. Uh, making small talk, uh, giving answers to questions like, is this all worth it? Um, when, you know, and they admit that basically when they're talking to the media, the rest of the media, I suppose, they give one answer, which is that, yes, of course it is. And then when they're talking to the camera here, they admit, maybe not. Actually, maybe this is not all worth it. And that leads to another interesting comments that one of Romney's sons give at one point, which is, one of them says, this is why you don't get good people running for president, meaning that the process is so brutal and dehumanizing that no one with any common sense would ever subject themselves to it. And so, again, this movie is a nice corrective to that since it does humanize Mitt Romney and his family. And it would be interesting to see – I mean people would probably get up in arms about it, but it would be interesting to see what a movie like this could do for a politician during a campaign. I mean, I guess you probably couldn't make a movie, but you could probably apply this storytelling technique, this filmmaking technique to social media, to YouTube, to Twitter, something Instagram, something like that. Because, you know, obviously the ending of the movie would is is the end of the campaign. So you couldn't show that. But I just I don't know. I feel like some of this humanity, while it certainly doesn't make you necessarily more qualified to be president, I do think that it would probably have swayed some voters just seeing this, you know, self-effacing guy with a great family and really caring and eating at Arby's and things like that. Like, he's just a guy, um, and he does come across pretty well in the movie, and it was interesting to see. I will say, this movie is more open about his faith in a way which is also but you understand why someone along the way many people along the way were like 
yes, the Mormon thing. Let's yeah, stay, they don't you know? shy away from. Yeah, that's right. You see him praying quite a bit in the movie, and it's clear that it's a big part of his life. And yet, it's something that you know they downplayed, downplayed in the a campaign. lot in yeah. the campaign because there are a lot of people who are not okay with Mormonism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, again, it's too late to do anything for his campaign, but it might make you, you know, think some more about Mitt Romney. Yeah, yeah, certainly as someone who I have never given much thought to Mitt Romney. Neither had I. Yeah, it is is a movie that... It's a little eye-opening. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's worth checking out. It is on Netflix, and it's called Just Mitt. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to skip right to behind the eight ball here because we are actually recording this a little later than normal, literally late at night. It is it is quite late. And so we're going to skip right to behind the eight ball and we're going to give you some new releases on streaming. We're going to give you some listener recommendations that you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And of course, we both have one film chosen blindly by number from each other's my lists. Allison, would you like to go first? I would like to go first. I will allow you to go first. Why, thank you, Matthew. Just this once. Thank You're you. very welcome. You're very welcome. But do do it right, because otherwise, next time you won't get to go first. I hope I live up to your high expectations. I, I will be paying close attention and taking copious notes. But let us begin. Why don't you give us three new releases on streaming? All right. I, I, the first of these three new releases is kind of three three new releases. Uh it's Cheating the Amazon already. Pilots. I don't like how this is going. I'm going to yeah. go first now. All yeah. right. It's the Amazon Pilots. Uh, every once in a while, Amazon releases a set of pilots for new potential uh, original series. And then they claim they take all kinds of data from how they're watched and how many times they're watched. And they use that to greenlight the series. Though I'm totally convinced that all they do is then randomly greenlight the ones they like. Uh, but this time there's an interesting bunch. There is I Love Dick, directed by Transparent creator Jill Soloway, based on the book by Chris Krauss, with the great Katherine Hahn and Kevin Bacon in the lead roles. Then there's The Tick, a rebooting of Ben Edlund's superhero spoof, which has lived in various forms on television before. This one stars Peter Serafinovich and uh, is apparently a slightly darker take, a slightly more uh, sidekick-based take on the character. And then there's Jean-Claude Von, uh, Johnson, in which Jean-Claude Van Damme, as, uh, who's already kind of played off his public persona in JCVD, does a variation on that, this time with super spy elements as well. Uh, this pilot is directed by Kean Peel and Keanu's Peter Atencio. So I haven't watched any of them yet. I was hoping to maybe later tonight, but we'll see how late this goes uh, recording. But uh, it's definitely, I think, the most promising group of three they've had. Also new, uh, American Masters' Mike Nichols is on Amazon Prime. Uh, American Masters is that PBS documentary series that kind of trudges through the lives of all these great people, you know, dutifully. This one focuses on director Mike Nichols, and it is directed by none other than the great Elaine May, fellow filmmaker, Nichols' former comedy partner, legendary comedian. This is the first thing she's directed since Ishtar in 1987, so noteworthy, at least in that. Uh, That is on Amazon. And finally, new on Netflix is The Midnight After, a satirical Hong Kong horror comedy from director Fruit Chan of The Great Dumplings. This one's about a bus of strangers who find themselves unexpectedly alone at the end of the world in Hong Kong and has a lot of supporters after I posted this on the Twitter account who came out about it. So that is also new. It is on Netflix. Okay. How about two listener recommendations? We've gotten... 
multiple emails from Paul in Adelaide, Australia. So Paul, you win. We, we surrender. Uh, I'll read the most recent one. Uh, Holding the Man is now streaming on Netflix in every country except Australia, where it is streaming on Presto. This was my favorite film of last year. The performances are outstanding. The direction is just beautiful. And the true life story at its center will leave you a sobbing mess at the end, guaranteed. I know a queer-themed tragic romance from Australia isn't on the top of everyone's list when they are browsing Netflix, but I really hope more and more people discover this gem of a film. So definitely check that out. Paul is a big fan. And we got a quick recommendation on Twitter from at Wake Up Fine, who writes, I don't know if anyone has recommended Underground, uh, the WGN show yet, but it is incredible and on Hulu. Um, I've heard good things about that from multiple people, um, and it's not one that I even knew was on Hulu. So that's good to know. I will add it to my whatever Hulu has now that they're saying is their cue. They keep changing it. It has a different name. I don't Does know. it have a silly name I could do a silly voice with? Uh, well, well, let's table this. Works. I don't Aww. know if I can handle another silly voice right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, one film chosen by me by number from your... You gave me number 11. It is Darling. This is the 2015 psychological horror film from Mickey Keating, the bright young thing of horror who seems to make a movie every eight months or so. This one stars uh, Lauren Ashley Carter as a woman going slowly insane after she gets a job as a caretaker of a large New York apartment. Also stars Sean Young and Larry Fessenden, which uh, is an interesting combo. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, Mickey Keating's promising talent, so I put that on my my list. Darling, You're number my list. 11. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, then give me three three new releases. All right, first up on Amazon Prime, one of uh, my favorite movies of last year, an Oscar winner for its star Brie Larson, its Room, from director Lenny Abramson, based on the book by Emma Donahue. Larson plays a woman who's been in prison for years in a tiny cell with her son, played very well by a young actor named Jacob Tremblay. I believe he was only seven years old at the time of filming, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil what happens to the characters, but I found this to be a very moving film. And as good as Brie Larson was in it, I think Jacob Tremblay might have been even better. So that is Room. It is available on Amazon Prime. I know it sounds very heavy, but it's not quite as heavy. You You can take it. Take if you've been... Nervous about watching it? Take a chance on it. Next up on Tubi TV is A Field in England, which manages to be a black and white movie and also totally psychedelic at the same time, which is a strange combination, but the movie kind of pulls it off. It's directed by Ben Wheatley, who made Kill List and the recent big screen adaptation of High Rise. It's about a bunch of deserters from a war in 17th century England. They're on a treasure hunt. They ingest some magic mushroom soup. And uh, things get very weird from there. It is very strange. It's very surreal. I don't think I really fully understood what was happening in this movie at a certain point. But assuming you're not epileptic and you can watch like weird strobing cinematography, I think you'll have a good time with this one. That is A Field in England. It is available now on Tubi TV. And finally, now available on Hulu, is Fake It So Real, a really superb documentary about the world of independent pro wrestling from Robert Greene who, in the years since he made this movie, which was very under the radar, has become one of the most discussed American documentarians working today, I would say. He made Actress, which is a really interesting movie and got a lot of attention. And his latest film, Kate Plays Christine, played at Sundance this year, is slowly making its way to theaters. I think it was playing in New York this week. has gotten a lot of attention as well. 
Fake It So Real, I, I really liked a lot. It might be my favorite of his movies so far. I haven't seen Kate Plays Christine yet, but it's really good. Maybe because I am interested in the subject. These pro wrestlers who are – I'm wearing a wrestling T-shirt now that I think about it. I didn't even plan that. But uh, it, pro wrestlers, in only in the sense that they're doing like pro-style matches. These guys are not professionals. They are – you know, unlike the guys in the WWE, they're doing this for basically nothing on nights and weekends off of their jobs, their day jobs, basically because they enjoy it for the love of the game, for the love of this art form. And it's a really interesting look into this world, which if you don't know anything about it, is a strange and very interesting one. So that is Fake It So Real, and that is available right now on Hulu. All right. Two listener recommendations. Our first one comes from Scott in Cincinnati. Scott writes, Hi, Matt and Allison. My wife and I just finished watching season one of Red Oaks on Amazon Prime. This fits in perfectly with the recent theme of 80s nostalgia on a recent episode of the show as it plays like a John Hughes movie shot at Bushwood and spread over 10 30-minute episodes. The characters are likable, and it's good for more than a few laugh-out-loud moments. We weren't ready to be done after episode 10 and are glad to see it's been renewed for a second season. Uh, For the record, one episode is totally unnecessary and annoyingly derivative, but I won't spoil it for you in case it's your favorite. Enjoy and keep the great shows coming. That's from Scott in Cincinnati. And I haven't heard a lot about this show. I think we had it as a listener's choice option when it premiered on Amazon. Did we really? I think so, but didn't win, obviously, since we didn't watch it. But I'm pretty sure we did. But other than that, I I haven't heard a lot about it. Uh, This is a... Executive produced by Steven Soderbergh and uh, David Gordon Green, I want to say. That, that sounds right. Yeah. And that sounds like an interesting combination, and the subject sounds good. I'll have to check this one out. Maybe this is one to watch with my wife. Scott watched it with his wife. It sounds like something she might like that we might enjoy together. So I'm going to – I don't know if Amazon Prime has a fake my list now yet. They do, yes. Do we know the name of that one? I don't know the name of that one. And even if I did, let's you be wouldn't, honest. You I wouldn't tell, tell me. You. Okay. Well, either way, I'm going to I'm gonna keep this one on my radar. There's a lot of good stuff on Amazon now. They're, they're definitely trying they're to step up their game. Throwing the money around. Yes, yes, exactly. All right. And our second email comes from Jesse in Virginia Beach. Jesse writes, hey, guys, I love the podcast. Definitely my favorite biweekly movie podcast about the world of streaming movies. Anyway, I just logged into my Netflix and saw at the top of the page, coming soon, September 1st, Jaws, which is a classic, of course, and I thought it was a good listener recommendation for the show, but I was sort of surprised to see this coming soon thing on the top of my Netflix homepage. Usually it's really hard to find what is coming and going from Netflix, which is one reason I like your show. Do you see Netflix being more forthcoming with their movie and TV show licensing deals in the future? Thanks and keep up the great work. That was from Jesse in Virginia Beach. Have you seen this, Allison, that they are now like sort of actually advertising what's coming soon and not just something that's like, you know, their new show or whatever. They're not saying, hey, new orange is the new black. They're saying, hey, we have Jaws coming. I have not seen that yet, but I wonder if it's just whatever algorithm they think I like. You're you're not a fan of Jaws, maybe. I I did get when I logged in the other day, I saw it was saying like Rams was like the first thing. I'm like, wow, whatever, whatever I'm doing, you're very convinced that I want to see this Icelandic drama about estranged brothers who herd sheep. I mean, you, know? you probably are. I probably am. You probably yeah, are. I'll I admit think... it. I totally added Actually, it to my, Netflix my has list. you pegged. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I have not seen the coming soon yet. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. I don't know. The whole Netflix's library is so mysterious. There's still got to be like a great article or maybe even a book written about like what's going on behind the scenes there in terms of what they show you and how they're adding things and things disappearing and what they want you to know. Um, Anyway, thank you for the recommendation from Jesse. 
All right, and one from your Milus. You gave me number 17, and that's a lot to count when there's no numbers on our Milus anymore. Uh, but I did, and my number 17 movie is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, colon, Sword of Destiny. This was another Netflix original from this year, I believe. The sequel to the beloved Ang Lee movie. This one not directed by Ang Lee, directed by Yuan Wu Ping, who I think did the choreography in the original movie. It does have Michelle Yeoh. It has Donnie Yen. And I haven't watched it yet. That's why it's on my my list. I assume the plot involves a sword of destiny. That's all I got. Have you watched it? No, I have not. That's unlikely, though. Yeah, I didn't hear great things about it. No. But, you know, how bad could it be? I mean, even if it's just like a direct-to-video action movie with Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen directed by Yen Wu Ping. Yeah, probably I would watch that. I would totally watch that. So I'll get around to it eventually. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon... Sword of Destiny. Allison, actually, I didn't even think of this when we were talking about how much stuff is on Amazon Prime. That is actually our theme for our next <laughs> uh, listener's choice options. These are an all accidental theme. an accidental theme. These are all options on Amazon Prime. So for people who complain that sometimes we have like one Netflix option and then other things, and that means the Netflix option is always going to win because Netflix is, you know, the more popular service and so more, more users can follow along and whatnot. Not going to happen this time. It's all about the Amazon. So I have the first option. It is a film entitled Elvis and Nixon. It is available now on Amazon Prime. It is directed by Eliza Johnson. And here is the plot description. The untold true story behind the meeting of Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, and President Richard Nixon resulting in this revealing yet whom humorous? humorous moment immortalized in the most requested photograph in the national archives and it stars and it's this is all about the cast kevin spacey as nixon okay makes sense ish i guess sure maybe not really but okay he goes big i feel like he could settle in he certainly knows how to play a president absolutely and then as elvis presley Who's, who's obviously going to play Elvis Presley in a movie about Elvis Presley and Richard Nixon? I would definitely not say Michael Shannon. Correct. Michael Shannon. He is the perfect choice. I don't get it, but I'd want to watch it. I, I want to see any movie that he is in. Yes. I would also watch Michael Shannon play uh, Richard Nixon. I would also watch a movie where he played Richard Nixon and Elvis Presley. Absolutely. I would watch a movie where he played every single part, kind of like Anomalisa, except not with puppets. Although I would also watch it with puppets if he did all the voices, but he would have to puppeteer also. He would have to I do think, the puppets and the voices at see, the same time. Yeah. He'd have to direct the movie also. I can't see him being anything other than excellent at that, frankly. I would see anything he did, basically. So we are interested to watch Elvis and Nixon. That is our first option. Again, it is available now on Amazon Prime. All right. Our second option is something I've already talked about. It is the Amazon Pilots. Someone wrote to me on Twitter and said, are you guys going to do the Amazon Pilots as a listener's choice? And I think I said, no, probably not, but I'm sure we'll mention it somehow. And then I was like, yes, we are. And I was wrong. And also Matt was like, we should do this. Well, I want to see them and I just don't have an excuse to watch them otherwise. So, so this is a good excuse. Let's give us an excuse to watch television. Yeah. That's the th- thing everyone needs. An the Jean-Claude for. Van Damme one sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And the tick. I love the old tick. And then Jill Soloway, who's fantastic. And then Jill Soloway. It's yeah. a great it's a great trio. It is a great trio. And I think you've got they they all feature people who I think are are kind of in that space between TV and movies that we mm-hmm. find so interesting yep. and sometimes frustrating. So we definitely want to give those a watch. I think uh plenty to talk about there. Uh especially in I mean the tick and the idea of the tick kind of like 
being brought back again. Yeah, the tick, the moment for the tick now is so different than the moment for the tick, both the cartoon and the live action right. show. It is kind when of this came spoof out the first of superheroes time. and right. uh, when it was like a first comic book. I mean, There's now, a lot more to spoof now than there was then. a world of superheroes. Yeah. Yes, it is a different world indeed. Yep. So uh, that's your second option. All three of the new Amazon pilots, which they hopefully will not suddenly take down. That would in be unfortunate for us. Option three, also available on Amazon Prime. Another movie, another recent movie that I haven't seen and I'm looking forward to catching up with. It is the new Todd Solon's movie, Wiener Dog. It will be available on Amazon Prime on September 1st. So by the time, you'll have plenty of time to watch it. The plot description is a Dotson passes from oddball owner to oddball owner. Amazing. This is a Todd Solon's movie. I never would have predicted that. Whose radically dysfunctional lives are all, again, never would have seen that coming, are all impacted by the pooch. And I believe it's sort of an anthology film. It is. And one of the characters that I guess comes into possession of the dog is Dawn Wiener, the frequent Todd Solon's uh, sort of protagonist who's been played by different actors in this film. A woman who we've already mentioned on, on the show. Greta Gerwig plays Don Wiener in this film. Have you seen this one? I have seen this okay. one. Okay. I guess you liked it if you're willing to talk about I it. I think there's a lot to talk about in it. And I like Todd Salons. I feel like... I do too. He will only ever give you a Todd Salons movie. Yes. And this is very One much of the Todd most Salons. distinctive directors that we have. Yeah. Very easy to spot his movies. And also, if you vote for this one, yes. you can ensure the double... Like having one film spotting episode about Wiener... And then a second. And then about Wiener Dog. Wow. That would, that's very tempting. It's going to be tough. I think that people are going to have a hard time not clicking on that one for that reason alone. So that is option number three Wiener Dog, available on Amazon Prime. All right. Well, which of these options should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or you can enter in the poll on the right hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, September 5th at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account. That is twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film or trio of Amazon pilots and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out around Tuesday, September 13th. Filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie and or TV pilot review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer, and you can follow the show at Film Spotting SVU, where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice. We share lots of streaming suggestions from ourselves from SVU listeners. And hey, we haven't mentioned this in a few episodes. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show and haven't done it already, go over to iTunes, leave us a review, give us five stars. It helps us reach new listeners. It helps us quite a bit. And we don't ask you for a lot. This is basically the only thing we ask for. So come on, do us a favor. Go over to iTunes, give us a review, give us five stars. We would appreciate it. And thank you. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. <laughs>